and this season of the Making It in Nashville podcast is sponsored by Range Urgent Care. Range has a very special offer for all business owners and honestly anyone in Nashville. So please stick around to the end of this ad to learn more about that sponsorship. But first, we want to tell you why we love Range Urgent Care specifically for our small business. As a small business owner, it can be really expensive to maintain a traditional healthcare plan for you and your employees. And this is where Range Urgent Care, an Asheville-based clinic, can help really make a difference. With their business membership plan, you can give you and your employees the peace of mind and help protect them and their financial futures by giving them a place to go for medical care and avoid a potentially life-changing emergency room bill. The great thing is is that an employee membership is just $45 a month per employee, and it includes unlimited urgent care visits that cost $0. These visits include services like x-rays, flu shots, and even prescriptions from Range's in-house pharmacy. The membership also includes free virtual visits for those more mild complaints such as colds, rashes, UTIs, so that your employees don't have to leave their home to get checked out by a medical professional, which is pretty important during the current pandemic. Their employer portal makes it easy to manage your employee roster and invoices from wherever you are, and their business memberships can scale to the size of your business. With two locations, one on Merriman Avenue in Asheville and the other in Black Mountain, they make it very convenient as an option for any Asheville local business. All right, so maybe you're not a business owner or perhaps a corporate membership is just a little bit outside of reach for you and your business today. Range can still help. They offer a wide variety of other memberships, including family and individual memberships. And you don't even need to be a member to visit Range Urgent Care as they are also in network with most major insurances and offer affordable and transparent flat rate visits. And now for the special offer. Just for the listeners of the Making It in Nashville podcast, Range is offering a free first month of their annual membership. And that's any membership, whether it's business, professional, family, as Sarah said, all of them will get you your free first month uh, visit making it in Asheville.com forward slash range to learn more about this very special offer and more about the subscription plans. Again, that's making it in Asheville.com forward slash range for a free first month in any annual membership. so much for joining us today. For everyone uh, listening, Lisa is a dancer, speaker, coach, writer, uh, belly dancer specifically. Uh, mm-hmm. What else am I missing, mm-hmm. Lisa? Um, speaker, mm-hmm. uh, now online dance teacher, um, general dork. So and the pivots have been real, right? So like this is uh, one of the ways that in our pre kind of conversations is just how quickly you've modified and changed and grown um, and sort of not look back. Does that sound fair as a quick summary of your last couple months? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one thing I would say about me as a person is like, if I'm walking down a path and I see another path, I'm like, let's go. And I don't look back. And that has served me well in the last couple of months. And just, um, I think the ability to make quick decisions and the ability to move and know it won't be perfect has served me really well through this time because the dance studio, which I've owned for 12 years has been closed. We've never closed, um, outside of holidays and since March 17th. Wow. Yeah. 
That's what I mean. Yeah. So when they were like, oh, two weeks, I was like, sure. But I was like, that's not what's going to happen. Sound right. <laughs> I remember, I, I feel like uh, Sarah knows me as something of, not, I wouldn't say conspiracy theorist, but like, I have a tendency to always kind of like, expect the best, prepare for the worst. Like I'm into like bug out bags and stuff like that. And I said, hey, Sarah, I'm hearing about this thing in China. Sounds like it could be a big deal. And it wasn't, she just sort of assumed that's like everything else that I'd ever mentioned. And all of a sudden it became like a really, really big deal. And so um, in the tw like 12 years leading up into, I'd say, you know, the end of Q1 2020, it was like the craziest thing that you might've had to deal with that caught you by surprise or uh, I guess challenged you in some big way. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about what was 12 years before 2020 was 2008. Yeah. So I opened the business three months before the financial crisis started. Wow. And that was a great learning opportunity because we pivoted. I mean, that was very different. And I was like, we take that one again right now. <laughs> but um, we we repositioned what we were offering. Like, here's this fun thing you can do as a little treat to yourself that's still super affordable. We thought about pricing. Um, and you know, at that point I was like, it's like that song, New York, New York. Like if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. And then the world was like, well, what about this one? <laughs> Curveball. <laughs> um, but it's been, I have to actually say that I, it's hard of course, but there's part of it that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like the chat, you mean the challenge specific, specifically mm -hmm. the curveballs are fun to hit. Yeah. And like, I had sort of mastered how to run this little business. Mm -hmm. And I got this opportunity that's like, want to do something else? I mean, this is not how I would have chosen something else, but we never really get to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit because you've been in Nashville for a long time. How, how long have you lived in Nashville? I have lived here for 14 years. Wow. Okay. So you've seen probably a lot of changes with Asheville and it, and it seems like you've done a lot of different things since you've moved here. But um, one of the reasons we started this podcast was because everyone told us before we moved, bring your own job to Asheville because there's just mm -hmm. it, the opportunities, let's say, are, are limited and the industries are perhaps a little bit limited. But in your experience, do you find that to be true? And how, how has that sort of played a role in your coming to Asheville and finding success in Asheville experience. Yes, I a hundred percent think that's true. And that if you look at Asheville and the cities it's compared to, it's very different yeah. because people are like, it's like Austin, but we don't have a Whole Foods. We don't have a Dell or, um, I mean, that's a much larger city oh, yeah. too, but there, there is deep, industry there and, and, you have and people tech, and like gi like gigantic tech, exploding yeah. tech that has been there for the last call it 10 years and so i'm with you on like legacy gigantic businesses and then also yeah. there's a explosion of startup style smaller businesses as well and health yeah. business yeah and anywhere that has a large employer like that mm -hmm. where it's people are moving there for the job and then they're showing up with their money and their savings accounts and their 401ks, it's a completely different economy. That does not exist here. And I think that you see the precariousness of a city based on tourism right now. Yeah. 
because if people can't travel and there is tourism happening, but it's different. And um, so I moved here with the intention of opening a business. So I, I wanted to open a dance business. And when I came here, I saw all the things that were necessary for that. And I moved from a big city. And I think the thing that was interesting to me about Asheville is you also can be a big fish. Like, mm people come to visit me and they're like, are you famous? Cause I walk down the street and people are like, Lisa. And I'm like, you are, you are, you are famous. famous so. you've, you've come in our, like we've seen you in, in multiple Every ways and time, yeah. um, seen you speak and heard about you through other people. So you're famous. But, but I, I, I hear that though. It, there is a, there's a small pond feel here for a place that gets, I think it, it, it's put in a weight class that's probably bigger than it actually is. Because people are like, you know, we're, we're part of the conversation with Austin and you sort of need to be Tim Ferriss in Austin for people to walk down the street and go, oh my God, I know that person. Who is that? Like, it's not, whereas walking down the street here, like even us, we've been here 14 months. Like everyone, back when you used to walk around, the street, you know, downtown, uh, we had, we, even in our own micro versions of like fame, people were like, hey. We've heard your podcast before, and that's nuts to me. That's nuts. Yeah. Right. Feels that's like a college campus. Brooklyn, no way. Right? Yeah. Is that where you moved from? Yeah. No, I moved from D.C. Oh, right. Where, like, yeah. the most famous dancer in D.C. is not, would not be me. But there's other opportunities with that. But I saw, I think that one of my strengths is the ability, which has happened with this, mm -hmm is like foreshadowing. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I see that I could make an impact there. Mm. Yeah. So um, that was I moved here and specifically brought my own job. And before that, because I'd worked, which is very different than in internet marketing, I was able to do some work um, in the interim while I built my business where I was able to make a really good living, which was very helpful yeah. to build the dance business because I could support myself. And then the first business I opened, I loaned myself the money. Cool. So I didn't have to get a business loan. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. so many questions. A, uh, I, one of the things that I've noticed in people was like, some people love going to um, the 50,000 person state school and feel inspired, like being in a giant football stadium. Like this is what I love. And then, you know, I went to a hundred student senior class, small high school. And like, a, I don't know, I think we might have broke 1700 student body size in college. And so I tend towards liking the feeling of being a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Um, leaving D.C., thinking that you might make an impact in this, this small town or city, how did, how did you choose Asheville? Like, how did, did you throw a dart at the map? You said, just wanted to be south of DC. Like, what else was in the conversation? I had a friend who was going to move here. And on the 4th of July, so 15 years ago, we came here. And I was like, yeah, I'll go on a road trip. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting place. And it was very different. It was much more economically depressed than it is right now. Well, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. um, we're not sure what's happened yet. It um, was weirder. Um, like the the sort of like old school 70s hippie vibe was much stronger. <laughs> um, 
and the art scene was really vibrant, but it was organic. Mm. And I think having like a stronger classical dance background and also being really educated in cultural arts, I thought it was interesting because I was like, I have something to say that people haven't seen here either, which is like, and not, I mean, no, they were in a beautiful place, but there was a belly dance troupe when I moved here and they'd be like, we call this Turkish. And I'd be like, that's not Turkish. Um, which didn't give me a lot of love, but I think Asheville has this potential to be a small pond and we're still working on it, but be high quality. Yeah. Um, but it was weird when I was attracted to that at, at the time. And it, it was really beautiful and strange and just <clears throat> what you would see on the street. And I saw that. And I think that I kind of like being a big fish. I went to the 50,000 person state school and I really like making my mark. So part of me occasionally wants to be challenged mm -hmm. by a bigger city, but, um, I don't think you could recreate what's happened here. And um, I have really valued leaving and putting myself in challenging situations, like traveling to bigger cities. Like even when I've been in, had coaches in bigger groups, like they were in New York. So people would show up to the table and be like, well, this is my $10 million a year business. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I, I have this little thing. Um, so it's been important for me to like show up here, but, but challenge myself outside of here. Yeah, sure. It, it, I think a lot of people, yeah. we, we talk a lot, a lot about that as well, coming from Brooklyn is just the idea of, um, you know, there, nobody knows who you are, but it's also so great because you you feel so inspired by so many different entrepreneurs yeah. and you're like, you're hustling, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of competition, which is, can be really healthy in some ways. Um, but then here, yeah. it's like you said, you get the opportunity to really do something that is different and unique and people know you and you have, can have potentially a greater impact. So we definitely have felt that as well. Um, I would love to learn yeah. more about dancing mm -hmm. and how you came to fall in love with this art form. Um, tell us a little bit more about the kind of dance that you do and, and the story of how you got here. Sure. So I um, danced my whole life. So I grew up doing classical dance forms, meaning Western and creative for the stage. So jazz, even like musical theater, things like that. And it was a love-hate relationship. And like to go before that, this is when I was five, I was in school and they said, draw what you want to be when you grow up. And I was raised by two parents who were like, you can be whatever you want. Like, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor. And I, my mom still has it. I said I wanted to be a bathing beauty. And you could, like, see her. Eye. She was, like, disgusted. She was like, oh, God. Um, and a tightrope walker. Because I was, like, fascinated by circus and, like, decoration and decorative self and, like, maybe feminine power. But she was just like, what, what did we do? <laughs> and, um, and then it's interesting because I went through all these phases and was going to be a lawyer, but like, I always went back to that and I was always really attracted to performance. So I was very academically inclined. So like school was my thing because people told me school had to be my thing. But the thing that I loved was dance. And um, so I danced my whole life. And then the other love, relationship was especially in the 90s was not being really thin 
um, because I'm curvy and I'm strong and I'm tall. And it was hard because they were like, stand in the back and uh, like being referred to as the big girl and being referred to as the big girl and being uh, like well below average small human. And then like not even taking in what that meant about actual larger people. And then um, I went, I went to graduate school and I still danced and I would take classes and I was sort of giving up on it. And I was generally very unhappy and I was taking a dance class in DC um, and the belly dance class was after it. Mm. And at first like dancers would make fun of belly dance. Cause we'd be like, that's not real dance. And being judgmental because it's easier than seeing something amazing. And I would stay and watch. And the teacher was in her fifties, which was so unusual. And she just was like, walk in in this dress. And I'd be like, what is that? And uh, one day she came up to me and she was like, why don't you come in? And I was like, instead of being a creeper at the door. And so, um, I know. Yeah. Like up from the window, like, (laughs) a complete weirdo and um, like in my little hip hop outfit and I fell in love and it was the movement and the culture and the community and the, um, the acceptance of different types of bodies and like really realizing I was lucky enough to be in DC and there were like learning from the culture that like people really get into this idea that belly dance is a fantasy and it's a real dance from real people and real countries and like learning about the Middle East and the culture and the music. And um, so that was probably 20 ish years ago. Mm. And I got obsessed. I was taking like six classes a week, um, started performing, worked in DC for a long time as a gigging belly dancer, which meant like four or five nights a week. I'd come home from work, change, go to a restaurant and dance. Huh. Yeah. So decided to essentially like run away and join the circus and the circus was Asheville. I love that. I, for whatever reason, so we saw you at the Pecha Chucha. I can't remember yeah. how to say it. Pikachu. Yeah. The, no, the, 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 I don't know, Ted talk ver- the derivative thing. And yeah. I just, I sort of assumed that, um, even with that, that story, cause there were, you know, you had a limited amount of time. I sort of assumed that like, Belly dancing for you was like Irish step dancing to certain girls that I grew up with who just like always did it. And then j- maybe you just kept doing it. I would never have guessed that it came to you in your 20s. Or what, what was yeah, it? Yeah, I think I... Nine, almost 20? 20 or 21. 20 or 21. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so I'd had this whole dance thing before, which I was good, but I was never like... You know, I like danced at Hershey Park, but I was never going to be on Broadway. But like belly dance was where I could do the belly dance version of Broadway. So I, and what's interesting is a lot of people start belly dancing as adults. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it seems like, the, it, what is it what you call a parallel? This is my mind making jumps, but like I'm seeing this trend towards like pole dancing as a form of fitness and, and self-discovery. Is belly dancing like that as a art form where you I, discover yourself and people come to it later in life? I would create a parallel in that sense where like um, it challenges people. It makes you feel good about your body. Like clearly it's two different ways of exploring sensuality, but it's in both of them. 
um, you can start as an adult and there's like adult, um, like belly dance has huge conventions. Mm. Like you don't see that for jazz and adults where like all these women come women and men and they take the classes and like you buy stuff and, um, pole has that too. The place where I wouldn't put a parallel is that, and this, and especially recently, this has come up a lot with everything else that's happening in the world. It's like, we have to always talk about with belly dance that it's a cultural art form. Mm. Cause people like will come here and especially in earlier versions of Asheville, they'd be like, I want you to teach me how to be a goddess. Like it, you were born from the forehead of Isis. And I was like, no, I'm paying respect to something that real women do in Egypt and Lebanon. And, um, like we have to tie it back to like, we're studying an actual cultural art. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the things I mean, I've never taken, I've taken very few dance classes in my life, um, mm-hmm. in part because I feel like I'm not very coordinated at all, um, but maybe dancing would help that. But what are some of the things that people say after they take their first belly dancing class with you? Um, I would say that my intention in creating the studio and now creating the evolution of the studio on the internet is to create a space where people who haven't take dance feel safe because there's this thing around the dance studio. And maybe that's why I'm like, I'm excited about new things because virtual creates a whole new place for this. Mm. Cause you can have your camera off mm. and I want you to feel safe and I want you to feel accepted. And I don't want you to feel like there's levels. Like if you get to advanced class and you want me to help you with something, yes, but that is never the intention of day one. Like, what if it's not about what you look like? What if it's about how you feel? Yeah. 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 It's like sometimes just so, turning on the music, dance around the living room is like the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like removing stigma from dance. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. love that. Yeah. And my mind, is it, it's so funny that you said my mind jumps to when I'm a novice at a thing. I want to see the logical progression of like, what is, so if this is white belt, what's the next belt? Like, what does it look like to be a black belt? And I want to know the steps so that I can practice my white belt version of the thing, knowing that the next thing's coming. And like, what if the first practice you're doing it just right? Like, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah. I think it's interesting and this is like sort of talking about like like sometimes I don't even like to say masculine and feminine because we both have we all have both mm-hmm. oh and but like to me that like well people all the time are like when do I get to perform like when can I and I'm like we'll see um what if it doesn't matter but like to me belly dance is about when performed by anyone of any gender is about the strength of the feminine so maybe bringing that into the class is like, maybe it's perfect the first day mm. yeah. and there's just a flow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so going back to, I guess, sort of the timeline of things, you started the studio, how many years ago was that? Mm-hmm. It was 14. So I, 12. 14 years ago, I moved here. Mm-hmm. 12 years ago, I opened this studio, 13, I'd been here a year. And I, um, on Carolina Lane, which is right behind here, I moved into this like giant 
garage space that had a wall three quarters of the way through. And I lived behind the wall and I am bullheaded. So I installed a dance floor by myself and then because it had concrete floors and then it had like a shared kitchen and bathroom. So I taught there for a year and then I moved into this space. Wow. And the space is, yeah. is in downtown Asheville. Yeah. So we moved literally one block up. Mm-hmm. So um, the it was Carolina Lane and then we moved to Chicken Alley. So the studio runs the block between Lexington and Chicken Alley, which to me is such a, if there's one thing that's Asheville, that of the chicken mm-hmm. that everybody, it's funny because it's everybody's Tinder profile picture <laughs> is the back door of the studio. Uh, Love it. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you're, so the you're smacked out in downtown. Mhm. And it's the original Tyson Chicken place in Asheville is the studio. What? Tyson Chicken? You said yeah. So we didn't know how it got yeah. its name. I just imagined that, that was like a funny little whimsical chicken alley. Tyson. It's cause this building was Tyson Chicken. Like before it was a giant so if you read there's a chicken mural. If you read it, it talks about it being Tyson Chicken and then the other studio was like a general store and the um in this space if you go in the back there's like a giant cutout sink in the floor i know what that was for mm-hmm. and then there's a giant refrigerator and the door's like this thick wow yeah how funny so, how, then, how, yeah how yeah. long ago would tyson have been in downtown Asheville? like i think over a hundred years yeah right Oh my goodness! Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the where the chicken is originally was a loading dock, so none of those buildings were behind it. That's interesting. Cool. We're um, yeah, and then go ahead. Oh, just the like the history, and then in the eighties, this I just think is interesting. They wanted to make all of downtown a mall. Yes, mm-hmm. heard about this. And there were a bunch of of people who came in and bought property, who like were like anti mall. A lot of them were artists. And a lot of those people are like one of those people is my landlord. Wow. Eighties. You imagine? Imagine coming in trying to buy uh, real estate in downtown right now. We got to do this podcast. <laughs> got to grow big, Sarah. <laughs> We're gonna have to get some. <laughs> when you hear the prices of like what they pay, exactly. you're like, oh. yeah. It's. I mean, it, that is. I think the. What's happened in just 10 years? I mean, since you moved here to not like the nineties or the eighties, it's, it doesn't even, it's hard for my brain to compute. Like I've tried to look some of the stuff up and I just had to stop like looking at yeah. housing in 2008 down here or t- 2010. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. There are several people I know who went to college here, who bought houses right out of college for between 60 and $80,000 who since sold the house and bought a house in another city outright. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine. I, it feels almost like the American dream was alive here for a split second where you're like, you know, you listen to like my grandfather. Yeah. We bought it for $12,000 in 1940. And I'm like, that doesn't even sound like that's like, how can you buy a thing that you can live in? That's not a car <laughs> for $12,000 as a home, as a full blown home. Which is very interesting. Uh, real estate. Yeah. People are still moving here and still buying property. And for well, what's sure. crazy is that the market hasn't changed. So I, I, I'm of the mind and I'm not in real estate and I don't 
play a real tour on TV or, you know, really have friends that are in mortgage broking or whatever. But like my gut says that our market will not slow down, even if on the national level, there's a slowdown, because I think people from call it New York or when will look at the price, look at the square feet and buy a place here set and scene. And yeah. they can work remotely. Um, so. My uh, boyfriend lives in the Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. and they there are no rentals available there because people left the city so quickly, but that's affecting here for sure. Yeah. They're saying that people are moving out of cities. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Man, so, okay, we went down this whole real estate rabbit hole and Tyson Chicken Mural, which I think is fascinating. Can't wait to learn more <laughs> about that. Um, so... You started the dance studio. Tell us a little bit, like, what were the milestones since mm. then? Because and you've, and you've done a lot of things and you seem to be doing more things outside of dance as well. But take us yeah. through the big moments over the past 10, 12 years. Um, these are just, I think, some personal ones is that I remember when I, one, quit my job to do this mm-hmm. full time. And I very clearly was like, I need to make this much money to quit. So I essentially went to doing both full time, saved money, saved money. And I remember somebody saying to me, they were like, oh, that's great. You're going to follow your dreams, but you're going to have to be poor. And I was mm. like, I'm, I'm such an and person, right? Like, I, I think that there's a there's almost always a false, I'll say dichotomy, but like a false relationship where you need to do X or be poor. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And is possible. I can do, I can follow my dream and make good money and feel yep. fulfilled. And like, um, that's, a, I find that very interesting. I'd love to specifically, and you can use round numbers or whatever. How did you attempt to think about how much you would need? Did you say six months of money in the bank? Did you say a year's worth of money in the bank? Like, how were you thinking of, like, what was your risk profile? You did two at the same time for a moment and then you went and said, I can do this. I- I think at the time I had a job and I was making like whatever the a monthly or like daily equivalent would be, but I wasn't working full time of like $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was the only teacher at the studio. So I was like, if there's enough money coming in, so whatever that is, like 4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, when I can make 4,000 a month from dance, I'll quit. Cool. And I did because I knew that I would be making the same thing and I was able to live on that. And then, I mean, I remember I had this spreadsheet and I was like, and it just was like, this is another marker. I was like, I made $45,000. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, now there's like employees and this. And I'm like, we need to make that in a month, you know. <laughs> and um, that was a big milestone for me. Um, moving into this space and sort of getting prime real estate um and being on the corner has been, uh, was a big marker for me when I, the first time I, so I had this parallel thing that happened in the early years where I was in Asheville doing this full time, starting to bring on teachers, learning how to run a business with employees. And I was traveling as a belly dance workshop instructor. So the first time somebody asked me to headline a festival or, you know, like, we'll fly you. I remember the first time I went overseas, like, we'll fly you to France. You're going to teach for a weekend. And I was like, Whoa. oh, my God. I've and made it. I've made it. <laughs> it seems so cool. And you would say your hourly rate, and they'd be like, 
sure. And I'd be like, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> should it should have been big. You, like it, you always want you like when you say the number, you want there's like if you can see it, you want there to be like a gulp, and then yeah, okay, yeah. If it's yeah. just like a quick yes or like no questions asked, you're like, might have left something on the table there. <laughs> Oh, or at least that's the, the capitalist in me who's, you know, dying to totally. maximize profit. Yeah. Well, that, that, when that person was like, you're going to be poor, there is no better thing to say to me. I was like, uh, watch. And, um, other milestones. I think, um, the very first studio show I ever put on was at a hookah bar that used to be in the building that is now closed. That was a nightclub on French broad. And it was like this intimate little space. And I was like, oh, my God, 50 people came. And then the last, I mean, it, it, the, we I think we probably had our last one. But the first time we do our shows at the Orange Peel, the first time we did it and we sold 500 tickets, that was, wow. I was like, whoa. And wow. just like, I've performed there a lot. Um, but like, Standing on stage at the Orange Peel has always been really humbling to me because they have the signs up of everybody who's been there. And you're like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. me and Lauren Hill, it's the same. Um, uh, we have won the best dance studio a bunch of times in the poll here, which just like to me feels like it's not winning. It's the recognition of people voting for it. Um, I... I have a real like marker in my head. These are just different like timeline markers of um, I've worked parallel to everything else I was doing. I like to do a lot of things. I worked as a teaching artist for LEAF for 10 years. So wow. I taught in for 10 years. I taught at the Burton Street Community Center. And for eight years, I taught in Deaverview, which is public housing and then various other places. And like, as far as like Asheville fame, like Leaf was a big deal. Yeah. And um, now I'm on the board. And it's just like you see, you see how things evolve if you really stick to the mission. And the one of my biggest Asheville highlights is that I have worked with the band Beats Antiques, Beats Antique as a dancer. And um, have brought there somebody in the band here. She's a dancer. And there was a venue that was in that same place on South French Broad and they did an outdoor concert there and there were like 5,000 people and I did a solo and it was like hometown hero. And that mm -hmm. was that, like I hold that in my heart. Cause you yeah. know, like, yeah. yeah, that was a big deal. And as my career has changed less dance, like those things are really special to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was, that, that was a star studded 12 years. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I, I guess one of my, I guess, questions is knowing a little bit about your background from pre-conversations and from the Pichichucha, like the law was a thing, was a road that you almost went down. And I think that yes. set, so to me, it's curious because uh, we've sort of, I, I'd say energetically matched on like seeing each other on like a right brain thing where it's like spreadsheet. And doing the numbers and knowing that four four thousand a month would be the thing that I can jump off, and like then there's this concept of being an artist mm -hmm. and dance that seems to be in stark contrast when people typically think about right brain left brain artist 
and like lawyer. How does one help the other? What did law mean to you for a moment? Like, is it is it gone or is it just a, a part of you that's you know powering this new experience? It's still there. It is. I've always said I loved owning a business as much as I loved being a dancer. So mm-hmm. I love a spreadsheet as much as I love performing. Um, I might love performing a little bit more, but I, I hold them both. And like, man, I love like if you leave me alone with some numbers and I can figure it out, you know, like now if I'm working with a client, I'm like, what's your break even point? And then there's the art. And like, to me, the art is more of the flow state Mm -hmm. and just like, and getting into that, like masculine feminine energy, like when I let go and how I lead women is different than this, but they both are very appealing to me. And I do see that that's unusual because I like both so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the law thing was less the law and more about accomplishment because I went to school and did a double major. I went right. I did this combined program and got an MBA and they were like, this is what you do next. And it's sort of like when the person was like, you'll be poor. I'm like, I'm going to climb this brick wall with my long red fingernails. Like, <laughs> um, and it's, that was more of where I went with that. than like, I do think law is super interesting. I think I would have liked school more than being a lawyer. Yeah. I think it's very self-aware. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Like, I think law school seems amazing and actual law is interesting. I think being a lawyer would be terrible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I feel like I had a similar experience. I studied accounting in school and I loved mm-hmm. it in theory. I loved mm-hmm. just like how organized everything is. And like you said, mm-hmm. like getting in the spreadsheets and everything just sort of has its place and you have to kind of like solve for X, you know, in different ways. But then I did an internship in accounting and absolutely hated it. Just was like, this is boring AF. This is not for me. And so, yeah, it's just interesting how you can love something in theory and love learning about it, but not actually love the job that goes along with it or the traditional sense, right, of the job. Because there could have been an opportunity maybe of accounting, um, you know, in a different way that could have been interesting or mm-hmm. law in a different way. For you. Yeah. So, but yeah. So when did today you're also a life coach and a, mm-hmm. a business coach. When did that come into play for you? Probably about um, seven or eight years ago, I started coaching belly dancers where mm-hmm. they would come to me and be like, I want to work towards like, it's a normal thing to take private lessons with a teacher and work towards a goal. And I realized I'm kind of a self-development junkie that I was bringing in a lot of that mindset and habits. And then I had people who own dance businesses coming to me and being like, can I pay you to help me? And I was like, yeah. Um, So I started to do that. And I realized that I really liked it because I think at my essence, I'm a teacher. So if it's dance, if it's, What's your break even point? Like, I like to help people understand things and feel better about themselves. So I saw that opportunity there. And so I, um, I decided I wanted more language. So I went to school, like coaching school, which you do online and part time. And then I've been, it's been a big part of my business the last 
three and a half years. Yeah. I mean, I find uh, personal development and all things coaching fascinating. I've I'm mm-hmm. been adjacent uh, for a while, then coached, then a coach. Um, and one of the things that stands out for me in our relationship so far, which I'd say is very young, the, the, yeah. the three yeah. of us collectively, is there's a tendency when I hear coach, I go, you know, like, oh, yeah. no. you know, like, I get it. I'm a wellness coach. I'm a business. I'm a lifestyle coach. Whatever it is, and and maybe it's a jadedness. Maybe it's my own insecurity because I I've worn a hat that said coach on it in the past, and um, and so it's a, it was a lot of me. But then every time, like when we when we met, and like everything that everyone says about you is like so great. And you're not like saying, and by the way, uh, you know, can we, can I coach you guys? Um, and I, there's something about that. I'm wondering your relationship with coaching. Uh, it's mm-hmm. this story sounds very organic. What about it? Um, what about it? I guess stands out to you. What's your personal approach? What are things that, um, have influenced you? Cause anyone theoretically can become a coach. Not anyone yeah. goes to maybe a coaching school or has coaching mentors. I think one of the best ways to like to identify where someone is with their relationship with coaches, like, do they have coaches? If you're a coach, you don't have a coach. Like, right. you know, something is funny here. So where, where are you at? What's your relationship there? Um, I hate the coaching industry because people mm. are like, people will be like, I'll be like, you coach what? And also this is, this is gonna, I'm just going to say this. Like people be like, I'm going to help you grow your business. And I'm like, where's your business? Um, And I feel really strongly. I think that there's two things that, that really sum up how I feel about it. One is don't take advice from somebody who hasn't done what you want to do. So if you want to grow a half a million dollar mission driven business for women, I did it. Come on. Um, and I'm a teacher. Um, and then the second one, my coach just said this to me, which is you can't take people where you haven't been. So mm-hmm. she's like, if you want to help people get bigger, you have to start working on what's next, like mm-hmm. get bigger. Um, so I initially was like, oh, my God, life coaching. I can't believe I'm going to do this. And the school that I went to, you have to be coached. And it was transformative. And I've always like teetered on the self-development industry and like, you know, like a lot of women my age, like hardcore Oprah, Brene Brown. Liz Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like if I'm a stereotype, sign me up because I, I love. But we are, really, we are too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those people are, are coaches, essentially, especially Oprah is this very coachy. And then you look at people who are like outstanding in the field. Like, um, I was like, okay, I'd had coaches who were transformative. I also experienced coaching that I think was poor and I learned a lot. And, um, I just always think like Serena Williams has a tennis coach 
And if she needs somebody to get better, wh- what am I going to say? She's like my personal hero. And Absolutely. I'm like, yeah. And I, I think you should be really picky. And I think that that industry is starting to like do this where people are, the cream is rising to the top. People who help people change. And then like, there's people who are like, I'm a coach, but they don't make any money. Which if we use money as a symbol of how much we're helping people, there it is. And with me, my coaching practice grew really fast because I think people had seen what I'd done. Yeah. Yeah. And so like now I'm like, you know, like also I feel like I'll take one for the team. Like I'll go to the Tony Robbins event so you don't have to. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, that should be a t-shirt or something. (laughs) So you don't have a lot to go to Tony Robbins event. But I hear that there's, I think that there's, um, I'm I'm hearing you and reading you loud and clear. I think yeah. that the um, there's a difference between being a psychologist and a doctor, or a psychiatrist and a doctor, and being a coach. And I think that's a largely known. And I think that you know the proof in coaching, at least, is in the pudding. It's like what mm-hmm. what have you show me outcomes mm-hmm. from past clients? Show me outcomes in your own world. I love the language of you can't take someone where you haven't been. Right. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I think that there is absolutely no question of the validity of the practice. It's mm-hmm. just a question of, can you find the right fit for you? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's like w- one of the coaches in my world, dear friend, and, and still in a lot of ways, a coach to me and, and to Sarah, uh, his language has been um, coaching is not for people who need to be coached. It's for people who want to be coached. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And a great coach is not going to take somebody they can't coach. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's actually yeah. a question that I have. Cause that, so a, I'm very interested in uh, hiring a business coach. So for someone like me going into that initial conversation, you know, what are, what are the things that you're looking for as a coach to gauge if someone is a right fit? And what are things that someone coming into it that's going to be new should be looking for other than proof that this person has done what you want to do? Um, right. What, what should they be looking for in a potential coach? So have they done what you want to do? And then have they been able to teach other people how to do it? Because there are people who are great at things that are bad teachers. Mm. Yeah. Um, have they, I mean, I want a coach who's been around the block, um, like who, who has, like, if somebody's like, I started this last year, honestly, I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. Um, I think that, um, I would look for that. And then it's like, do your personalities mix. And the thing that like, can I motivate you? I always say I might show up as your coworker and I might show up as your boss. So, um, like if I'm very direct, does that appeal to you? Or if you want somebody softer, maybe you should go over here. Um, are they accountable? Um, Mm -hmm. do they show up when they say they were going to, um, I have an amazing coach and she never, I'm extremely time specific and she's always, I call right on time. She always answers the phone and she's never not been excited Mm -hmm. and we're, two years deep. Yeah. 
So she has an ability to show up. So I think looking for that. And then like, do you like their teaching style? Like the reason I have so much education that's free on the internet is like people, people want to see what you got. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's something I've heard where it's, uh, people don't pay for something that they don't already know what it is. Like they don't go to right. events that they haven't been to in their mind because they know everything about what you say you're going to say. And then, and then they just choose to go because now it makes yep. their world better. Um, and, and showing your work. And so Sarah, what, I mean, this is so interesting for me. I love, I'm like watching this and like, okay, Sarah, what thoughts are you thinking after hearing that? No, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's spot on. Like, I think for me, particularly that personality <clears throat> thing is super important for me because mm-hmm. I want to feel mm-hmm. like I can, I can relate to that person. And I've, I've spoken to mentors before who have all been very helpful, but I feel like a lot of them are just, they're a little bit older and they like not really in touch with maybe some of the business aspects that are in today's world that you right. kind of have to be savvy about in order to talk about. Um, so like all of those things I think are, super important um mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah i don't know i i i think it's a really important note there sarah because it's one thing to think all right i want to start a consumer brand so let me talk to the former you know business leader from a procter and gamble vertical uh who did it like who, 40 years well, ago 40 years ago or even 10 ago. even 10, right. years, 10 ago. years ago but like right. the scale on that is so different and the way that procter and gamble would start a consumer product business is fundamentally different than how you're going to start a consumer product business. And so talking to someone who's doing it like you probably will, there's maybe five years out, three years out. Mm-hmm. And like, I think I find that very interesting as a concept. Yeah. I, I eat like there are different coaches for different phases, perhaps. Absolutely. And I have had that. And I also have like one, I've had my original coaching experience is personal training. Because that's a coach. Um, and I also, like, I have a dance coach right now where we meet every other week and work on me as a dancer. And that is the same thing. Like, she she's able to pull out of me faster, easier, and more productive than what I could do by myself. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like, it's sort of like, how's their ability to extract performance? And, you know, like, the other thing I would say about a great coach is it's not formulaic. Like I always say I have a toolkit, but I don't have a formula. So if you mm. like, I do coach different kinds of businesses and I will, I had somebody come to me and they were like, I own a farm. And I was like, not me, not, not, I don't. <laughs> like I literally yeah. was like, I don't know how you sell the food. Like, <laughs> like I would be doing you a disservice, but if you have a creative, mission driven. It's about this size of business. I also like, don't really want somebody who's just starting. Mm-hmm. Like I like, um, the meat to the business, but I think that, um, you see formulas where they're like, you make three Facebook live videos and then you post this. And that is a disservice to like each person's unique. Each business is unique. So you have to have tools, but you have to be able to apply it to different businesses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing cooking, not baking. It's, it's might right. there might be a recipe, but sometimes you need a little extra salt. Sometimes it's got, you know, the ovens are different. A little extra spice in there. A little extra spice, but it, yeah. you know, it's not a, 
not baking. It doesn't need to be exactly the same every single time. And yeah, that's, maybe and that's like, not even what baking is. That's my understanding of what baking is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's formulaic, right? Yeah. Like it's science. And I think that it's really interesting coaching businesses through the coronavirus is that just have to meet people where you are. If somebody is devastated, I'm going to show up as a coach differently than like somebody say, now I work at home. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So like showing up, meeting somebody where they are is important yeah. to me. Yeah. You yeah, can I tell really... I'm really passionate about this. I start to like, wave my arms around. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this, you can't see Lisa right now, but yeah, she's, she's very animated and shout out Tony's to making it an actual YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. But, yeah, but I think, so now if you were to describe your business and maybe weight the two, like what part of your world is coaching versus, because it seems like coaching and being a dance teacher, like they're, those are similar muscles. They might not be the same yeah. muscle, but there's something very- similar going on. And so it might be pulling different or similar parts of you out. But like, where are you on like a weighted balance on bandwidth, time, attention, energy between two? Pre-COVID, it was 70% coaching, 30% dance, where um, the dance was a machine that was running itself. And so the studio was running. I would come in and do strategy. I, um, I was teaching. I always teach one night a week, all the belly dance. And then two other days a week, uh, post COVID 50, 50, because mm. now, um, I am the primary dance teacher for the online platform, um, which I really like mm-hmm. teaching more. So that's been really good. Um, but also 50, 50 with this much heavier intermingling where like now because stuff's online, it might be, well, I'm your coaching client, but I pay this little bit of extra money and I get this many classes a week. So I'm showing up to dance and I'm getting people from all over the world who were like, I took a workshop from you once. So I'm coming to class. So, and honestly, this has answered a lot of my issues because this is happening. So I don't have to pick where my attention goes. Yeah. I have some questions for you about, some things that I so I was kind of like browsing your website uh, the other day, and there were some really interesting article headlines that I wanted to kind of just dive into sure. you with you a little bit. Um, one of the things that you wrote about was the headline of the article was how to know what you want, and I found this so interesting because you do so many different things and you seem to do them all with like a lot of just gumph and and energy into it. Is it's that the right gump, word? A little, um, that's Either a way, yeah. I, I will start using it. Gump. Yeah, like you, like you just seem very confident yes. in, in all of the areas mm-hmm. that you're working in and maybe that's just my perception. But how do you define, you know, if I'm someone who's like, I don't know what I want to do or I'm just not sure, like if I should go in this direction, what would be your response? I That's where I go into the toolkit mm-hmm. and that's where like coaching school is useful because there's all these exercises to start to extract that. So the first thing I say is like there's some writing exercises. There's a visual one where you start drawing what you want more of. Um, another one I really like is where you make a wheel and each wheel is a part of your life. So there's like work, relationship, spirituality, yes. and it's whatever your life is and you color each one in how much you're fulfilling it. And then you're like, could I drive on this wheel? 
Mm. And for 10 of the last 12 years, mine was like work, work, work. And then the first time I did this, I was like, oh, I want to have um, a relationship that's not second to my job. I want to spend time with my niece and nephew. So now I do like I use that wheel to determine like my goals for the year. And that's like that's like so a grown up say, version of Nash or like a, yeah. a self-development version of Nash. Yeah, it totally. And I think that what I would say is it's taking intentional time quarterly to like figure out what you want. Yeah. So that is my, that's a short answer. And there's lots, and then you also have to figure out what you don't want and figure out how to get rid of it. Yeah. 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 So like quarterly. We have 24 hours. And, yeah. 24 hours. And, and we're filling it up with something. Oh, sure. Sure. So we got to figure I mean, out like, what to do. You know, eight yeah. of that is sleep or nine if you're like me. You just lost sleep. But, um, <laughs> I find that really interesting that you said quarterly because something that Tony and I have tried to do, and I say try because we've missed a few here and there, but is what we have, uh, what we call our quarterly offsites where we kind of like just turn off the, we go somewhere together. We don't bring, we, we turn off our phones, don't bring our computers. And we just try to like reflect. And usually what we'll do is like, have little sessions and one of us will lead it with like reflection questions to try to kind of just re rebalance everything, figure out what we want more of, what we don't want and what's working and what's not. How do you kind of run? How do you think about that? Really? Yep. Like, do you just sit down every quarter and journal or like what, what works for you? Yeah. So I do like a plan for the year. Mm-hmm. So I would say, Annually, I do like a day, day and a half where I, I usually go away by myself and I'll be like, what do I want? And I do that wheel. And if it's been like all work, what else do I want to do? And then I take that in this process into like a plan. And then I use that to be like, what are the big three things? And I try to do it in threes like this quarter. And then every quarter I do a half day. And then every month I do like two hours. And then every week I do like 20 minutes because a year is way too long. Yeah. Um, so I think that quarterly is really smart. And then like we got this great opportunity. I took my like life plan and burned it in March. And I was like, that's not going to happen. What a cool opportunity to try something else. Yeah. Um, and that I felt excited by that. But yes, quarterly. And I am super consistent about it. And I look at it all the time. Yeah. I think if I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that a year plan, a five year plan, like those are maybe interesting thought activities, but there's zero chance that you even get remotely close to that being what the outcome is. Um, So Mm -hmm. maybe there's a useful practice in there somewhere. That said, you can, even if it turns out to be not a good strategic use of 13 weeks, you can commit to most anything for a quarter. And, yep. and you can, if you have a process, you can improve the process over time. But like, that's why I, I, I'm really into this like quarterly focus, quarterly recalibration, quarterly, um, you know, game, game planning. And then the second part, which I'm just going to double underline from you is like, I completely agree that when I've had those quarterly goals or whatever version of the goals 
sitting front and center, showing up daily, weekly, multiple times a day, somewhere you know visible and and impossible to miss. I I feel like those goals are almost impossible to miss as well. Yes, I agree. The more I write things down, look at it. And then you get the like up over around the mountain. Mm-hmm. So if I was like, this is what I'm going to do in quarter two, but you can't leave your house. I get attached to it and I'm looking at it. So I, I can come up with new ways to do it. Yeah. When you think about yeah. goal setting, um, this is one of the, one of the ways that I've, I've historically found sometimes people set themselves up to not hit goals because of the type of goals that they set. I'm wondering, are you thinking numbers and bank accounts? Are you thinking actions taken in some process? How do you think about like what lives as your three things in, I guess, what like style of a goal do you like to use? Mm -hmm. I do like a measurable goal. So I will set a financial goal for myself that I do like, but people will be like $12. Or they'll be like 12,000. And I'm like, it does have to come from somewhere. So I do think, especially with business, like you have to plan and do projections. Um, because like oftentimes somebody would be like, I want to make $50,000. And I'm like, oh, how do you want to make it? Yeah. One client, like, 10 oh. clients that pay 5,000. Like, how are we doing this? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so that, so I typically do one business. One financial, one project goal, and then one personal goal. All, all, yeah, all very um, like outcome and, and quantitative, or is it like no. Ibiza? You know, like are you putting a <laughs> like is it a noun? Um, uh, just be, I always find this so so interesting to see how people set goals. Uh, it says I will, I will. do a uh, I will blank a measurable thing. Cool. But what I try to avoid is not being like, not that I don't necessarily even believe in this as a goal, but I'm not going to be like, I will, I do do it with money, but I'm not going to be like, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. I'd instead be like, I'm going to run three times a week because that just feels healthier. And, and I mean, yeah. and, and, it, and it, it's a controllable, right? So one of the things that I always like when Sarah and I are trying to come up with goals is there's a tendency to be like, well, the outcome I want is to be 10 pounds light. And in right. reality, that's not the outcome that you want. The outcome you want is healthier. And so like, what is right. healthy? What, like, what are proxies for health? Right? Like you can get your cholesterol you know, measured if that's the thing that you want to focus on. But like reality, it's what, what are the things that you have control of? It's working out however many times a week. That's getting a heart rate up to X number X amount of times a week, and um, and you know, let the chips fall where they where they may on um, things that are yep. like a layer away from that, like you know, what your body looks like and what your what the scale says. Yeah, and I would challenge just coming from working with women a lot. Like, if you can run three times a week, you probably are a healthy weight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, it just feels like a healthier choice yeah. and. That's why I also have one financial, one project, because I might be like, oh, I want to make this new website. I do think like with companies, you have to understand what you need to make. But if I'm like, oh, I want to make $50,000 in the quarter, um, like seeing how the two are related are interesting. Mm-hmm. And I always think if I'm building something new, maybe my financial goal isn't as high. 
So it's about being comprehensive. And then I have other things like it was on my wheel this year. Like I just have scheduled times to talk to my family. Like I start just putting into the schedule, the things that support the rest of my life. Mm. But I do think it's important to know what you can control to what you said. Like I, I get a lot of people being like, I want a relationship. And I was like, you can't control that, but you can control putting yourself out there you can control seeing a therapist once a month to like work through some things and if you do that you're going to end up better regardless of the relationship yeah love it yeah we are very aligned speaking the same language we were at the end of 2019 there were moments that uh if not exactly they rhymed with stressful um and and part of it had to do with finances Mm-hmm. And I, one of the ways that we, you know, we talked it through was like, I can't change how much money we're making this moment, but what I can change is how many times I have conversations with people that will put us in a position to make money. And I can, yeah. I can increase that. I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that. Like, and all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, money changes because you're ha- you're, right. you're doing the thing that's controllable. I'm sending emails. I'm following up. I'm having the coffees, and it, lo and behold, worked out. But we couldn't just say money's going to happen and like put it on a vision board. <laughs> like we needed to have the, the conversations. Right. Yeah, if you take action towards what you want mm-hmm. in 90 days, I guarantee you, you'll be in a better place. Yeah. Like money generating activities, but like you have to do it. Yes. Um. Yeah, the vision board. I'm always like, that's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, like, if you're like a person who's manifesty, you can't be like, I want more money. And then you spend all your money and don't do anything to make more because you're not doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. Um, but I always tell people, like, even like if you think about coronavirus, people are like, I just give up. And I was like, wait, think about it like deferred income. If you are posting about what you do now and you have 20,000 followers. If on the other side of this, you have 75,000, you will make more money. So build your list. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tony. So just giving snaps. He can't, if you, you know, people who are listening can't see him, but oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I love that. Definitely agree with 100% that it's all about the inputs, not the, I mean, the outputs are important, but you can't control those. So yeah. Um, another thing that, you have talked a lot about, and I've seen on your website, is talking about sales strategy, mm. um, which I think is one mm. of those things that gives me life. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony <laughs> loves this. He's our sales guy. But it's definitely one of those things that I think as small business owners, people struggle with, or they're just not quite sure like how to do it without feeling icky. Uh, I know I feel that way, particularly. I'm not a what I would call a sales woman or not naturally inclined that way. Yeah. And um, I, w- I would challenge that with some self-talk because you are exceptional at selling. Anyways, like talk, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the questions that you get from clients regarding sales selling and how do you respond and, and what do you recommend people mm-hmm. to think about? You have to understand the psychology of why people buy and how they buy. Um, so this is what I hear all the time. I developed this thing and I sent an email and one person bought it or nobody bought it. So I failed and I gave up and I'm like, cool. Of course that isn't going to work. 
So one, you have to really understand, and this is going back to business school, like a sales funnel, which is people have to know about you. They have to be interested in you. They have to have an introduction or product from you. And then they have a relationship and then you have to renew the relationship. So, um, like I've worked for 12 years to have interest and attention and interest so that now occasionally I can post about something and people will buy it immediately, but then I still have to sell it. Um, so there's a couple of places I go with this. The first is, um, people should understand their own behavior with sales. Like, do you see how much you're seeing something before you buy it? Mm, I recently, especially right now, because, you know, that idea of recalled set, which is how long it takes somebody to associate you with a product. Like, you say soda, people say Coke. That's your recalled set. Mm -hmm. And it used to be four times. And then social media started, it went to 16 times. Coronavirus started, and it went into the 20s. Because everybody took everything online. Hmm. Just you're not no longer getting a referral from your plumber, from your neighbor, because you don't talk to your neighbor. So you have to create a funnel process. How do people meet you? And then how do people buy from you? You have to repeat it. And you have to like constantly be talking about different ways to work with you. To that end, you also can't ask somebody to marry you the first time you meet them. So I mean, I always say this to people, they're complaining. And I said, how long did you know who I was before you signed a contract with me? Five years, two years, like there's a process. Um, I would talk about this for a long time, but I'm trying to distill what I want to say. Um, the other thing is you have to ask for money. Because just think about this. If I put, if you were like, oh, dance is interesting. And I put a, a thing on Instagram and I was like, I'm teaching dance class. It's great. I didn't invite you to the experience. I'm teaching dance class. It's great. You should come. It's $12. That's an invitation. Um, And in general, that goes into habits and like self-talk and like you are worthy of money. Mm -hmm. And also money's not weird. It's a, it's an emotional exchange. So would it, wouldn't it be weirder if nobody was paying you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my favorite story about this is one of my clients, her husband is a recruiter for the Marine Corps. And I was talking to him and they're in Maryland. And I was like, oh, do you get a quota from the government? And he's like, yeah, it's 90 people a month to give up to serve the country for four years. But like, that's a huge commitment, 90 people. And I was like, what happens if you don't meet your quota? And he was like, we do not never meet it. I mean, it's the Marine Corps, right? Mission first. He's like, we measure everything we do, and then we tweak it based on what's successful. And if we get to the middle of the month, we amplify the activities. And I was like, he just taught the sales process. That's wow. And yeah, that, that's and, it. And with that, it's so funny. I'm, I'm working with a, a young sales team right now, and it's amazing that people can wear a hat that says, I'm in sales, right? And if you're an entrepreneur, you're in sales. If you're in a small business, you're in sales, right? And if you're and if you don't think you are, you're doing that small business at a service. Everyone is in sales that probably listens to this yep. podcast. If you're in sales and you're not at least partially acquainted with the concept of a sales funnel and the fact that you know, ooh, what's happening here? 
Hey, did you lose us for a second? Yeah, like a second ago, oh, but I heard everything. Oh, interesting. Um, let's try and cut that out. If not, hey, <laughs> we, we went down for a split second on the internet. So if you're not even like partially aware that there is such a thing called a sales funnel and that you know, in order to get 90 customers to change their life forever, like you need to talk to potentially 900 or at least get 900 mm-hmm. eyeballs at the top of that. And I would say that's a very conservative guess as to how many people need to be offered the yep. opportunity to join this select community of Marine Corps, um, you know, cadets, whatever it might be. Like that is, that's essential. Like it almost feels like mm-hmm. it needs to be communicated explicitly by every leader, founder, entrepreneur, like, hey, person who works at the desk, like you are in sales. A person who's doing, you know, customer response uh, operations via email, you're in sales. Like you're, oh my you're God, helping us grow. You're growing the business for us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm with you. Okay. I, I really like everything that you just said. Um, I, I think the invitation to, to take someone's money or to be given money by someone is often what's, what's missed. I think, it's common in a world where like, I have some friends who are like, yeah, I, you know, what are you, what are you doing during COVID? I'm learning how to build an online course. And I go, yeesh, because online course is cool. Also, it's a ton of un- upfront work yeah. that you'll put on the internet and no one's going to show up unless you happen to be one of those people, 20,000 followers now, 75,000 in three months. And like, but even then, you need to do the things that invite people to join. And unless you're a yep. traffic junkie and you know how to throw 10,000 cold leads on a website and you know how to remarket them and retarget them and give them more opportunities to give you money, like you're going to spend three months building a course that no one's going to take. Yep. Yeah. And don't make a course until you have an audience. <laughs> like that's just part of what I'm doing and people are asking for it. Yeah. Um, I think it's such yeah. a weird cart and horse world where people love carts and I'm like, let me make this cart. I'm like, where is your horse? <laughs> like you need it well, behind, you need the cart behind your yeah. horse. Because it's safer yeah. to mm. build a course than it is to go out and sell yourself, mm. you know, and like build your audience and put yourself out there. And yes, every sales thing is a math problem. I need 900 people to get 10. And I need my customer, what's your customer acquisition cost? People are like, what? And I'm like, how much did it cost you to get that person? And there are no excuses if you were using digital media because everything is trackable. Yeah. Yeah. So turn on your Google Analytics, kids. (laughs) (laughs) For real. Um, I love it. And so one of the things I didn't know, you said that you had a background in digital marketing before you started the dance studio? Before I was going to go to law school, I was doing internet marketing, which was like early days of email marketing, Um, mostly for Sylvan Learning Centers. um, I was their director of internet marketing. How interesting. That seems to be a good place to start before going into brick and mortar schools. And you really think about like customer acquisition Mm -hmm. and like everything, everything was data driven. And I think that's where people who are like, 
we see entrepreneurs who are like anti big company, but I'm like, look at everything there is to learn there. Or like, even when you look at startups where like you're having to do, you should be as accountable to yourself as a startup is to their investors. Because essentially a, a, a micro business, a solopreneur, you're your own investor. Yeah. So like I should know what my effort is doing, what my customer acquisition cost is, like what's your burn rate? Because that's going to help when we get to coronavirus. How long, what will I need to make three months? Yeah. Oh. I could talk about this forever. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, my and if, yeah, empower, like, so if you, I really like working with creatives. If you are making beautiful custom wooden cutting boards, if you're making jewelry, if you're making websites, like you will get to do what you love more if you embrace owning your own business. Yeah. That's the ticket. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we yeah. always talk about like how sometimes, and this is even for like personal finances, but sometimes it feels so scary to, to think about looking at the numbers, right? Like, you're like, oh, how much should I spend this much? I don't want to look and keep putting it off or whatever. But then when you do, you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. Like now I know what I need to do. I know what action I need to take. And while it can feel like scary and unknown and confusing at first, it gives you so much more certainty in moving forward and the ability to make decisions that are informed. Yeah. The monster yeah. under the bed is almost never there. You just need to keep looking, right. keep looking under the bed. If yeah. It gives you every time I've looked under, like the metaphorically looked under the bed every day. The better our business has gone, the better my finances have gotten, the better. Like I just, I know what monsters give me anxiety. Taxes have given me anxiety. Paying down student loans have given me anxiety. Like, but the more attention I put into those spaces, the better they've gotten. Yeah. So my, I say this to people all the time, can you make money your friends? So it's like a plant. Are you watering it? Are you giving it sunshine? You I used plant to some Beyonce to let it grow real big. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I remember the, I went to this Sufi healer when I lived in Maryland and he would take my check and blow on it. And I was like, that's, that's weird. But he was like blessing the money. And um, what is, what does money allow you to do? Make big, give big. Um, but like part of my morning rituals, I look at my bank accounts, one to make sure something like hasn't happened, but two to be like, this is where I am. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really got to face where you are in all life situations too. Mm. Yeah. And, it, and it, yeah, I'm sorry. And last thing I think in this space is like, if you don't know where you are, you can't get where you want to go. Right. And I think that a big part of big part of like choosing the outcome, like, what am I interested in? Where do I want to be? Do I want to be an entrepreneur? And I think that word gets thrown around a lot. Often it's small business owner, right? Like entrepreneur, if you're not, if you're not expecting to sell this thing, are you an entrepreneur? Or are you a small business owner? And both are fine, but like yeah. we're small business owners. We don't have a thing right now that we're growing at a, at a rate where we think we're going to sell it and, and leverage the, future cash flows from the deal. Like we're small business owners and that's great. But if we don't, right. if we can't say that our goal this year is to do however many hundreds of thousands of dollars and call it out and pick it, we can't hit it. And if we don't know where we are now, I don't know what I need to do for the next five months to get there. 
Right. Well, if you were like, I want to go to New York City, I'd be like, where are you? <laughs> if you were in D.C., it'd be very different than if you were in L.A. Yeah. Both are possible. Mm. Yeah. 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 They yeah. love that. Well, so speaking of where you are and where you're going, like, tell us a little bit about what the future holds for for you and your studio and your business in general. Sure. So um, I am excited to be pivoting the physical dance studio into a full online platform. So we are taking all dance and putting it online and doing a mix of on demand and live classes. And in that allowing for a platform that also talks about my coaching business and has um, all the opportunities for how to work with me as a coach. So we're sort of I don't see a big difference in all the different things that I do. I see them all as ways to move humans forward with their goals. So um, doing all of that, it also allows me for a freedom that I've never had because mm. we're moving. Although I'm, I'm not giving up the space. I have made the space into essentially like, I mean, I'm sitting in it, uh, digital recording is that mm. I also have bought with a plan Every, like a bag full of digital recording equipment so that I can be um, like, I like to spend time in Egypt every year. I can be at the beach. Like I'm going to the beach in August and I'm going to teach all my classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really exciting for me. And in that wheel of life, like I really realized that I was very married to this space and um, I have seen an opportunity to pivot into a place where I have more freedom. Um and like be in Asheville, but not have to be here all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my big next. Very interested to know what tech is going to allow you to build that, um, you know, on demand plus live classes plus coaching portal. You can sure. keep it high level, but like WordPress. Uh, it is Kajabi. Um, Mm. which is a teaching platform. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're able to create a membership and then there will be courses on there and then you can buy on demand and we're using it. So essentially I have three major pieces of software, Kajabi, um, PunchPass, which is a fitness. um, And the reason we're using PunchPass for pieces of software is because PunchPass is fully integrated with Zoom. Mm. So in PunchPass, if I create a class, it automatically creates a Zoom link in my Zoom account and emails it to people, which has been the the bane of every fitness business existence. So PunchPass, which is like a smaller version of MindBody, which we used mm-hmm. to use with um, Kajabi, PunchPass, Zoom, and then email marketing software, which is integrated with them. Yeah. Kajabi seems to be an all-in-one. So are you emailing through Kajabi for that? Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never used that, but it seems really clean, really robust. Amazing. I went through all the online teaching flat platforms and it's by far the strongest to me and it's the most flexible. Yeah. Yeah. So Shout that's to, my. That's a good job. They're doing great work. They're doing great. And they just did a big um, conference like called Made in Kajabi. So there's like showing, like I've been able to see how people have grown their businesses with it. Yeah. If that's interesting to you, uh, please visit makingitnashville.com forward slash whatever episode this is, because we'll have a link and that's a hard one for me to spell. I have to Google it before I get there every time. So that'll be on the show notes page. 
Yeah. Maybe they need brand help. I'm always <laughs> like, what? Yeah, who's? <laughs> yeah. Whose job uh, is that? Kajabi's. I don't know. But it, who cares what the name is? The product is fantastic. Like the closest thing I've ever seen like it is just a landing page builder. But like that, they do like landing page, website, plus email marketing, plus courses, plus, you know, tiers of courses, plus it just, it seems incredible. It's like a, it's like a mix of, it's like putting lead pages and teachable together. Yes. And teachable is a platform, but it's really for courses. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the, so that's super, super interesting. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Were you, had you used it at all before, uh, COVID? I had, I was familiar with it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to move into the bonus round, the speed round, okay. the whatever you want to call it round. Okay. Um, this is meant to be pretty fun and light and uh, not overly thought out. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple of phrases and I'd uh, love it if you could just fill in the blank with whatever comes to okay. first. Cool. Um, Asheville is? I'm not being speedy. Asheville <laughs> is learning about Ooh. itself right now. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. The next question. The best thing a business owner can do for themselves is? Learn how to sell. Ooh. Love it. I do think that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of learning going on here. Um, Name the book that you have most recommended. Mm, um, Or that you would recommend the most right now. Uh, that I would recommend the most right now is I think it's called the body knows the way or the body knows the score. That's about how we um, internalize trauma and emotions in our body and how to let them go. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of in coaching starting to move into like the neurobiology, like how are we holding these things? Um, I'm a Brene Brown junkie and um, also the untethered soul by Michael Singer. One of my favorites. I'm writing that down. Yes. Uh, those both. I've never body, heard of body knows the score. I think I've heard of the yeah, untethered soul, but I haven't heard of the first one that you said. Um, so I'm excited to check this out. Um, go ahead, Tony. You're the next. Uh, well, I think we've already touched on this lightly, but bring your own job for Asheville. True, false, and you want true. to expand on that. True. True. Nice. So okay. true. Someone that you would like to nominate to be on this podcast. Have you interviewed Annalise? No, but we know her and Spoon and Hook. Shout out Spoon and Hook. No, it's a fun thing. So talented. When we uh, this is this is a uh, Tony loves tangents, and so when we first started thinking about visiting Asheville, like we had bought a ticket, we were coming down to visit. I went on the deep YouTube channel dive thing, and she was on a. VRBO or like some some travel it was like a very well produced travel thing whereas East Fork her and I don't know who the third business is anymore um but it, it and then somehow or another we got connected with Annalise on the internet when we moved here and I was like she looks so familiar like how do I know her and it was from this yeah. YouTube video which will be in the show notes as well very it's a fantastic video and they had us hooked on Asheville. Okay. 
there is not a more charming human. She's so talented, yeah. but she's a good person. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, her stuff is so beautiful. For anyone who's listening doesn't know, Annalise makes these, she'll make lots of things, but she makes these what? like wooden carved um, boards and spoons and like some of them have like dried Resin, flowers yeah, like within a, them and like ice cream scoops and it's just so pretty. It's beautiful. It's so cool. I think yeah. the, the resin bush seems to be a relatively new, like in the last year or yep. so thing, right? But it, it, it's so distinct. I don't know. Maybe it exists other places. But for me, the first time I'd ever seen wood with resin and flower was with her. And I think that um, the products are gorgeous. So, yeah. okay, awesome. So second to last question is um, the thing that you miss the most from the pre-COVID world. Hmm. Um, like, like just, there's something beautiful that happens in this town about sitting outside somewhere with your friends and then people walk by and then you know them. And then this person comes in and you end up hanging out with that person. And there's something really unique about Asheville with that. And I miss it. Mm. Yeah. 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 Also, I live almost right next to five Walnut, the wine bar. And I miss Mm -hmm. that very much. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about the personification, the, the definition of a place where people might walk by and you get to see them and like the gang all hangs out. That's the yeah. window seats slash standing area at oh, Bible. Yeah. I mean, do you remember? I remember, Tony, we like, we were like visiting Asheville one of the first times and like we were walking down the street and like we heard this music mm. and we were like, like Pepe Le Pew, we like followed the yeah, sound. Like, where is this music coming from? And like we walk on down, oh my gosh, this little wine bar. And then I think we went back the next day because mm-hmm. it was like packed when yeah, we passed totally. by. And it's just so reminded me of like Europe or something. A very Italian vibe. Yes, yes, yes. Love it. Cool. Yeah. Last final question uh, is if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand and could grant you a single wish, what might that wish be just today, just in this moment? Now, what would you ask for? I'm going to be selfish and say I want to go on a trip. I want, like, one clean plane ride (laughs) with a friend or my boyfriend to go. Like, I was watching Anthony Bourdain last night, Uh, and I was like, I want to go and travel and meet people. Um, I was planning a trip that I was going to take eight dancers to Egypt um, this fall and be able to show them that. And we were going to go because people identify Egypt as Cairo, but going into the countryside and it's so beautiful and like go to a hotel in the desert and see there's like old dinosaur bones because it's a UNESCO site. And then my boyfriend was going to meet me there and we're going to go to Zanzibar because he had won in a raffle a week in Zanzibar. And like, I was like, you know, like you plan your whole year around yes, it. Yes. And now I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if someone it, could promise happen. me a plane was going to be like somehow fumigated, <laughs> like we're, uh, we have these trips coming up and I'm like, Sarah, you know, we're driving there. Like I, the way I'm wired, I'm like, I'd rather two legs will camp in the middle and we're, you know, we're going to drive there because I don't trust Johnny two rows back. It's, mouth breathing. it's like not even about I mean it is about that but it's also like there are a lot of things we can't like we're we're not allowed to travel to right now as a United States citizen like mm. there are just so many bans on where you can actually go so which is right. a whole other thing just knowing that like even if 
even if everything was safe and like clean and in a, a perfect boat, world, boat, like we, suit, we can't, like we're suit, not allowed right? to. That's very heartbreaking. So, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I wouldn't have picked necessarily Egypt, but you got me feeling like an Egypt trip, Sarah. We might need to make that happen, 2021, in a in a travelable world. Let's do that. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, now for the real final, 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 final questions. Are you ready? Okay. I am. How do people find you on the World Wide Web and the internet and stuff? Lisa Z A H I Y A. Zahia. Um, everywhere, any social media site, it's just at Lisa Zahia, which is the benefit of my hard to pronounce name. Yeah. I'm the only yes. one. Yeah. So all those things, LisaZahia.com, um, ZahiaOnline.com, but they all lead to each other. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And they'll be on the show notes page. But Lisa, thank sure. you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank it you. Was, it was a privilege. Yeah. And it's yeah. so odd because you're so like, you're right around the corner from us, and we're here we are on a computer screen, uh, like through the window. Like Seriously, I think we could roll a ball to you from where we are. Like we're just yeah. we're just down the road off of Rankin, but um, oh, uh, if, this, if this goes on and on, maybe we'll start a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else am I going to do? No. Uh, well, I hope um, one day. Thank soon, you very much. Hope one day soon we can meet at Five Walnut mm-hmm. Wine Bar and have a glass of wine in person. So. I'll have you on <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa.